Welcome to Inside Acme X, a series where we discuss TV, film, video games, creative technology and art with practitioners in Melbourne. Each episode, we interview a resident that works at Acme X, Acme's screen-focused co-working space. I'm Amber Gibson, the Community Coordinator. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, on whose land we record this podcast here in Melbourne and I extend that respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander peoples listening in. Today we're going to talk to visual artist and filmmaker Ava Otzing about documenting art and her work. Welcome, Ava. Thank you so much for having me, Amber. Um, I'll take any opportunity to nerd out on my profession. Can you talk us through the work that you do? Yeah, sure. So I mostly work with artists and arts organizations and I document their work. Um, It's kind of like a specialist documentation, which then ends up sometimes being used to promote the work, but sometimes it's just for documentation purposes. And then I also create my own art. I do photography, but that tends to be for other artists as well or in collaboration with other artists, but I create video pieces and I, I do a lot of screenwriting as well. Awesome. So which came first, visual art or filmmaking? I think the filmmaking, because I went to film school to London when I was younger. I had this incredible privilege of growing up in an artistic family. So there was never a question if that's an okay path to take in life. So as soon as I, I think I was maybe 17 and I found this course where I grew up in Estonia at the Baltic Film and Media School. It was like a short filmmaking course. And then I ended up taking it. From there, I just kind of knew. I was always jealous of people who grew up in an (laughs) artistic family. Yeah, I don't know if I could have actually chosen any other profession. My mom was a singer in the Estonian Film and Chamber Choir. And my dad had been also a filmmaker or like a director of a filmmaking company. There was just this air of like, you don't have to be like normal. You can just do whatever you want really and I had that freedom and I'm like extremely grateful for it. Wow that's lovely. (laughs) So what inspires you to document art instead of creating narrative film for example? It was definitely a dream of mine to create fiction films you know to direct or to write but then once I started working kind of on like some shorter productions and some productions in London, I actually didn't like what I experienced at all. Like I didn't like the industry. I didn't feel included. I looked at it and I thought that's that's not for me. And then I just kept doing kind of my own thing, just shooting by myself, editing things. I kept working with musicians and artists. And then when I moved to Melbourne almost a decade ago, I ended up working for the National Gallery of Victoria and got this incredible job as the moving image designer. I don't know, it just kind of happened. So because I worked for National Gallery and then Sydney Opera House and Dark Mofo and um, Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, um, Chunky Move, Melbourne Theatre Company, lots of arts organisations, <laughs> I kind of just um, ended up doing everything, including sound design, editing, filming, 
uh, interviewing. I loved interviewing. So it's it's really funny being on this side. <laughs> yeah, it's such a pleasure, isn't it, to chat to people and they tell you their stories. I'm sitting here and just able to absorb all that knowledge as well. You can learn so much. Yeah, that's what I've been loving about my job, like working with all of these like artists is every time I do a project, I either, whether it's like filming Frida Kahlo's self-portrait as part of MoMA or if it's um, like a firework display of someone's loved one ashes being blown up like it is every time you learn so much and you don't learn it as a general public you kind of because you are there filming it and recording it and then viewing it later and then presenting it in another form for other people to view you really have to get into it and all of this experience from like um, working with dancers and theater people, musicians and artists, I feel like it's all like I'm just like hoarding it or something. Yeah, you're definitely getting to know them on a deeper level because you're shooting that film and then you're editing as well. So you're seeing it over and over. So of all of these projects, what has been one of your favorite projects that you've worked on? It's so hard to choose a favorite. I created this documentary with my friend Charlotte, uh, Charlotte Watson. She's a an artist as well, and we were just in between those terrible lockdowns. And I we kind of got together and created this documentary, and it ended up showing at one of the most kind of amazing nature film festivals in Estonia, and it felt like a real full circle for me to have this documentary play in my home country and also the fact that I got to collaborate with lots of other people on it as well um a really talented composer and sound designer and Charlotte of course yeah yeah it was really cool it was was that Confluence Confluence yeah. yeah and it was shot around the Mary Creek was it or yeah it was shot in a studio in Brunswick and then the Mary Creek yeah yeah, I really liked where you went with that because I did a lot of walks around the Mary Creek in the evenings during lockdown. So that was a very like location central film. Yeah, so the documentary was actually about the migration of bats. Yeah. So how they, every night they travel at the same time um, across Melbourne and how that migration kind of gave a sense of time during mm. those those really... Um, difficult times that we went through here. I saw them referred to as like part bird, part mouse, or part bird, part dog. They sit on like this precipice between two creatures that, because it's neither one or the other, makes it uncanny. And so we sort of have a funny relationship to it. And just the time of night in which you see them is a transient mythic time. That's where sort of it sits between things. We can't see very well at that time of night. And I like that duality of them. I, I like that they sit in that, in that space in between what we know and what we don't know. And, and um, yeah, I'm sort of increasingly attracted to <laughs> what we don't know. <laughs> So every day she, she said it in the film as well when she saw the bat, she knew that, you know, another day I had passed and everything's all right. Yeah, because you, you did need those markers of time. <laughs> and you have another project that you're working on with your friend. 
Marnie Green. Can you tell us about that project? Uh, sure. So this project, it just happened um, because somehow me and Marnie, we kept working together on projects with Chunky Move, this amazing contemporary dance company here. Um, we happened to work together on like free projects. And then I was like, Marnie, we need to do something together. And she sent me, she was in Berlin and she sent me this track um, by this Greek electronic musician, Lena Platonos. And I listened to it and I was like, yes, I know, like, let's do this. So um, we're working on this project that looks at um, humans as this like organic form existing in a city space um, that has been filled with concrete and technology. So we're seeing like how those things talk to each other. Mani is doing a choreography that she created and we're shooting it in these like super stylized spaces, like normally concrete or like with lots of screens to to give that um, contrast. Mm-hmm. So Mani's movement is very much very like organic and primal and then you have these like screens and concrete that... Um, are very different. And you're going to be shooting that in Melbourne? Yes, yes, yeah. in Melbourne. So when you're directing a project, what is your creative process to work out your vision? When I'm directing a project, I tend to start with a, a feeling that I want to evoke, um, like a spark that I have. It might happen at like 3 a.m. You know, you wake up and you have to write something down <laughs> or... Or someone approaches me and they're like, I really want to work with you, um, which I really appreciate. And then from there, I usually collaborate, try and just see like, why why is this idea interesting? Why does it need to be out there? Um, what's special about it? And then find other practitioners who can help. Are you very visual? Are you seeing the shots in your head before they're made yeah definitely um seeing the shots you have like those images that you really want to get and and they form like the spine of the project I guess and you work around them but then also if you're working with like a cinematographer you want them to bring something to the table and trust the process so I think that like one person director um with a vision is maybe outdated yeah how do you work best when you're shooting it depends on the situation like if I'm put in a situation where I can't control anything um you know I'm documenting something I'm I'm at a festival or I'm I'm filming a like a an orchestra playing um I just let my instincts guide me but when it's something that I've set up, um, then I, I do plan and I think this, is, this will be a great shot. Like, I want to get that shot. 
I really love shooting films that I can't control and then working with that footage later and then molding it, that into something. Yeah, so that's when your editing skills come in. Yeah, so that's like the, the clay and then you, you make something from it. And how do you approach the edit? Editing is something that I can talk to you for hours. <laughs> <laughs> Say I have like two hours of footage, um, I go through it and there's always something that sticks out. You're like, this shot is the the like soul of this video or film and then everything else kind of falls into place from there. Yeah. And... For everyone listening in, Ava recently <laughs> recommended a book for me to read and it's called In the Blink of an Eye, A Perspective on Film Editing by Walter Murch, which some people might have read. But Ava, there's a section in the book where Murch talks about this term seeing around the frame and this term suggests that directors uh, and editors have a different relationship with footage mm. uh, because editors, if they haven't... Sh- shot the scene Mm -hmm. then they only see what's on the screen but because the directors have you know they've worked so hard to get the shot Mm -hmm. they've developed an emotional relationship with the uh, footage and it's harder for them to Mm -hmm. step back and you know maybe they wouldn't cut certain footage that that needs to be cut what do you think about that term seeing around the edge of the frame that term, I, I actually don't remember, but I'm so glad that you brought it up because one of the most important things I think with editing is that you have the distance from how the thing was shot. No one is ever objective, I guess. As an editor, you still put your preferences into a film, but when you're an editor, you have that distance from the footage because you don't know what happened on set, you know? Yeah. You don't know how how long it took to get that shot, how hard everyone worked to get that shot. Because when when you're a director or any other crew member on set, you work so hard for it. Yeah. <laughs> and you want you want that shot to be included. And then when you're an editor, you, you take this footage and you're like, well, but it's actually not that good. So <laughs> you're not going to include it. It's the same with like editing a book or like any editing. And sometimes there's like little moments that the director doesn't see or um, when you're there at the moment, you you just can't see, but they actually work within the bigger picture. So with editing, it's so great that it's never like A, B, C, you know, you don't have three shots um, in a row. It it can be like um, two shots create a third thing completely like a completely new thing so it's it's um I'm getting really nerdy <laughs> so how do you create that distance mm. if you are ever directing and then editing work yeah so what, what I do often with uh, art documentation or I just usually leave the project for a few weeks yeah yeah I don't like if I see the footage straight after and have to edit it straight after, it sometimes um, doesn't end up being as good as it could be. Mm. Mm. So you really have to get your mind off it. Yeah, or, or you have to switch planes somehow, <laughs> 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 Com- compartmentalise. Yeah, and do you 
seek advice from other editors? Do you work with other editors? Mm, not really, no. But um, so say I recently worked with Rico Rennie on his piece, uh, What Do We Want for ACME Commission, uh, our bank commission. And I was doing the additional editing for it. So I got the project and it had already kind of everything was there for me to start editing from. Um, and then Rico was in the room and I would create something. I would create a cut um, and I'd be like, what do you think? You'd be like, love it. And I was like, great. <laughs> okay, so you had that nice trust and back and forth. Yeah, it's it's really great to have the artist in the room and just go back and forth. And and you can I can instantly tell like I would create an edit and and show it and the feeling isn't there. Like you can tell that it's not quite there. And then you just create another edit until until it's there. And it's the same. I was recently editing. Um, a show uh, for Ruben K, um, and he was in the room as well. And we we spent. He's hilarious. So he's hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> editing that show with him in the room was exactly as you'd expect. It was so fun. Yeah. So, what is your style of editing? My style of editing is definitely following my intuition. Like, it's emotion driven. It's um, musical. I have a musical background, so often I use the rhythm and just this like feeling that I get when I'm editing. Yeah. So you have a musical background? Yeah. So when I was younger, I played the violin, and then I sang in a in a girls' choir. Awesome. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then um, I was always kind of. Yeah, encouraged to make music and I just, yeah, it's incredible. So that really helps when, when you're an editor. So how do you balance the relationship between creating art as an artist but then working with clients and doing it for the purpose of a commercial outcome? Mm, it's a... Um... It's a really interesting question because I definitely struggle with it. After like a few years of um, working with like institutions and stuff such, I started to realize, oh, like I'm actually using this like creative energy for these projects and they worked out really well, but then I was kind of left with not much for my own art. So for me, the key is to kind of balance it out to have a space where I only work on my own things and then follow usually a brief that whether it's working with an organization or a musician or another artist that I bring my skills to it mm. but not always that creative part. Yeah the um, distinctions between like art and content are, are really um, blurry. Yeah. Especially when you're starting out and you you don't quite know what you have yet. Yeah. Like, and then you just you're just so eager to like work with these amazing artists and organizations, and you just want to like give it your all. But yeah, it's it's just a balancing act. How do you obtain those clients? Um, usually, people kind of find me. It's um, word of mouth, which I really 
appreciate. And there's something about like people who have similar values to you and like aesthetic values as well. Like they just seem to find you. Mm. And sometimes the wrong people find you and you're just like, "Mm, I don't think it's my kind of project. And that ability to say no, like, no, I don't want to work on this project is such a massive learning thing for me. Because if you say no, you're worried, will there be another project? Like, can I say no? And then now, like for a few years, I'm like, yeah, I can say no. (laughs) Like there's going to be someone else is going to offer something that's more aligned with what you want to do. Yeah. So you built up that confidence over time. Yeah. Yeah. Have specific filmmakers or editors inspired your work? Yeah, definitely. Recently, Celine Siama, French director, her way of looking at narrative um, has been really like mind-blowing. Also, Cahil Joseph, um, American visual artist and filmmaker. He's, I remember like 10 years ago watching this video he made for Flying Lotus and thinking if I could ever get that feeling across that I got from watching that video in any of my videos, I'd be, I can, I can retire. <laughs> um, or Jill Bilcock, the Australian editor, she's definitely one of my heroes. And um, also the director, Luca Guadagnino, I really love his work as well. I, I think his work is so intricate and just beautiful. He, he's really good at creating this like nostalgia mm. moment for things. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking to you. Thanks for joining us on Inside Acme X. If you would like to find out about Acme X and keep up to date with the next episode, follow us on Twitter at Acme X Studio.